We are in our last installment of our series called The Essential James. We have been reading through the book of James verse by verse over the last few weeks. And today we get to James chapter 5. So we're about to finish up. So if you would, uh, one more time, we're going to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God as we wrap this up. Um, and I will read this out. If you guys can just follow along on the screens, you do not have to read out loud with me this week. Um, but just let God speak to you through his word. James chapter 5. 5 verse 1 says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you one more time for the opportunity to dive in to your word. God, we thank you that you still speak through your word. God, we thank you that you've passed this down to us. And so we ask, God, that as we study James chapter 5 today, as we wrap up this series, God, that you would speak to us directly where we are at. God, if there's anything specific that we need to glean from this, Holy Spirit, we ask that our hearts would be open, our ears would be in tune with you. Uh, God, that we, we, we would hear exactly what it is that we need to apply from this passage. We thank you for what you're going to do in our midst today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. You can grab a seat. If you're just joining us for this last installment, or maybe if it's been a couple of weeks since you've been here and you've maybe forgotten what we are doing, we, we started in James chapter 1 and we discovered a theme verse for James, uh, for our series, and it's James one twenty five, which says this, says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. 
And so from this, we've pulled three goals that we've applied throughout this series, hopefully three goals that you have applied in your own personal reading as we've been reading through these chapters on our own. But our goals were this. Number one, we're going to look intently into the book of James. This morning, we are going to look intently into the book of James. We're not just going to read it and set it aside, but we're going to study it. We're going to look into it. We're going to allow God to speak through his word. Our second goal is we're going to continue looking intently into the book of James. James 125, James 125 says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. So we've done something a little different in this series. We've set aside each day to read the same chapter for one week long. So this past week, we read James chapter 5 every day. We continued looking intently into James chapter 5, allowing God to, to speak to us through different parts of the, the, the chapter, through different angles uh, as we continue to rotate it, continue to look into the word and allowing it to speak in different ways. And then finally, and most importantly, our goal for this series is to do what the book of James says. James one twenty five says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. I want to be blessed. You want to be blessed. I want my work to be blessed. I want my relationships to be blessed. I want my parenting to be blessed. I want everything that I do to be blessed. You want everything that you do to be blessed. And so James 125 lays out for us a formula to walk in God's blessing. We must look into his word. We must continue looking intently into his word. But most importantly, we got to do what it says. We have to put it into action. And so James has been very direct. He's been very forceful at points. Uh, he, he deals with us very bluntly, uh, but he does that so that we can feel the sting of our sin, feel the sting uh, of the ways that we don't quite measure up to what God has called us to, and so that we can allow that to motivate us to get things in line, to motivate us to, to line our life up with what his word says. One of the major themes throughout James that we have discovered really from the very beginning is James addressing the rich and speaking to the rich about their oppression of the poor, about the ways that they have dishonored God and dishonored others with their finances. James is clearly disgusted by the way that people who have wealth are handling their money as he addresses this. And obviously this doesn't apply to everyone who is rich. There are many who are rich who, who are honoring God in their finances. There are many who are rich who are blessing others with their finances. But there's obviously a large segment that James is speaking to who are not. And so he picks up again as he enters James chapter 5. He addresses those of means. He says in verse 1, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. He says, Right now it might seem comfortable. Right now, it might, all might be warm and cozy. Right now, everything might seem great. But understand, if you are not honoring God with this, if you are not blessing others, that the blessing that you think you have is going to turn on you. It's not going to be comfortable forever. In fact, it's going to be so uncomfortable that it's worthy of weeping and wailing. This is what is coming to you if you are not honoring God and your finances. Verse 2, he says, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. So he's saying that the very thing that they have sold out to, the very thing that they have 
built their lives around. Their money is actually going to turn against them. And, and <clears throat> their fine clothing, which they think is so wonderful and identifies them as people of status, identifies them as people who are important, that their very clothes are going to rot. Moths are going to destroy them. Verse 3 gets even worse. He says, your gold and silver are corroded. It's falling apart. You don't see it yet. Right now, it still looks flashy. Right now, it still looks attractive. Right now, it still seems to hold value. But the thing that you think is holding value is falling apart and is going to be destroyed. He says, their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. And then he wraps the verse up with this. He says, you have hoarded wealth. In the last days, you've hoarded wealth in the last days. I want to park there for just a second, because uh, to me, that's the most powerful phrase in, in all of chapter five, uh, the most convicting, most challenging phrase. He says, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. So first of all, what is the last days? The last days biblically started in Acts chapter two, when the, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended and filled up the, the 120, uh, James, or Peter went out and he preached. And as he preached, he said, today you've seen Joel chapter two fulfilled in your presence. And in Joel chapter two, the Holy Spirit says that in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will see visions um, and, and all your sons and daughters will prophesy. And so Peter says this prophecy has been fulfilled. In other words, that day has come. The last days have begun. The time when the Holy Spirit is poured out has begun. Now, what is the significance of the last days? The significance of the last days is the era of evangelism. It's the era of taking Jesus and proclaiming him to the world. Everything up to that was pointing towards Jesus. Jesus was going to come, but now Jesus had come. He had died. He had risen again. Death had been defeated, and now salvation was available to the world, not just to the Jews, but to everyone. And so that was the beginning of the last days. Now, fast forward, we're 2,000 years later, and we're like, okay, they were still in the last days, right? Like maybe they weren't so last, but it's, it's a season. It's a period uh, that, that God has revealed to us the fullness of who Jesus is. And so James is writing to those who are hoarding wealth in his generation. He says, you've hoarded wealth in the last days. <laughs> now, if you've been around City Church for very long, you know that I'm a big believer that we're all rich, now, if you were to compare my family to, to maybe other families, you might look at our house and say, well, maybe you're not that rich. Or you might look at our vehicles and say, well, you're not that rich. Uh, but I think the mistake is we compare ourselves to other Americans. When we compare ourselves on the world scale, we discover that we're rich. Oh, man, no matter where you are on the American scale, whether you're at the top or the middle or the bottom, we are very wealthy compared to the world. It's amazing the poverty on planet earth right now it's amazing the billions with a b of people who do not even have access to clean water it's amazing the things that we take for granted every day the things that we waste every day that other people would literally kill for and so when James speaks to the rich and he says, you have hoarded wealth in the last days, the easy thing for us to do is, is go to our mind and imagine the person that we think is rich. 
right? We go to Donald Trump, right? Like, like we go to, to whoever it is, like, on television, whatever celebrity, whatever athlete that is just balling, that just has so much, and we think, well, they're hoarding wealth. That's who he's writing to, but I'm afraid that this verse might apply to a lot more of us in this room than we would like to admit, I'm afraid that there might be more of us in this room that are in this category than those that are not. I'm afraid that this warning might actually be for us. And so when he speaks to the last days, what is the significance? Why why does it matter that it's the last days? Why not just say you're hoarding wealth? Well, the reason why it matters that it's the last days is because this is the era where our dollars can finance missions like Matt just talked about. This is the era where we have the ability to send people all over the world where they haven't heard about Jesus and allow them to hear about him. That's what the last days is. It's the last opportunity, the last season for us to tell people about Jesus. And James says, there's a great mission out there. There's something so much bigger than you, and all you're doing is you're hoarding stuff under yourself. He says it's going to turn on. It's going to corrode, it's going to corrupt, it's going to destroy if you don't submit it to the will of God. It says your money's going to be cursed. This, of course, refers back to Malachi chapter 3, which James's readers, being Jews, would be very familiar with. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, very famously say this. It says, will a man rob God? Of course not, right? I've never robbed God. I'm not going to go into God's house and take something from God. I know I'm going to get caught. I know it's not going to work. But he says, yeah, you might not be doing it that way, but you're robbing me. He says, but you ask, how do we rob you? He says, in tithes and offerings. We always preach this as a tithe passage. I always miss that. It's not just about the tithe. He says, you're robbing me in offerings. In other words, I'm asking, I've called you to something greater. I've not called you to the minimum. I'm not asked you just to settle at this point. I'm asking you for more. He says, you rob me in tithes and offerings. And then he says, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. I've often said that I would rather have 90% that's blessed than 100% that's not. But what this is teaching us, what James is teaching us, is those aren't really our options. My options are 90% or less as I go above and I give offerings. That's blessed. Or 100% that's cursed. James says it's going to rot. It's going to corrode. It's going to destroy you. If you hoard this unto yourself, if you're not generous towards God, and as we see in this passage, he's going to also say generous towards others with the things that God has blessed us with, our wealth is going to destroy us. Our wealth is going to be a curse on us. One more time, James 5.3, he says, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. What a horrible place to be in. Let it not be said of anyone in our church. Let God not look at me. 
Let God not look at our church and our church finances. Let God not look at any of us and say, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. I gave you an opportunity to bless the world. I gave you an opportunity to make a difference. I gave you so much more than I gave so many others, but you just kept it for yourself. What a terrible statement that God would make about any of us. Luke 12, 48 says very famously, to whom much is given, much will be required. And to me, that is a verse for Americans. That's a verse for us because we have been given much, and we can spend so much time comparing ourselves to the other American down the street or the other American in the media or the other American there who's been given more, and we can justify hoarding what we have, or we can step back and look at what the rest of the world has and say, you know what, I've been given much. And in me giving me much, God wants me to be blessed. God wants me to enjoy it. I'm not saying if you spend any money on yourself, you're terrible and you're going to hell. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is he doesn't just give it for me. He blesses us to be a blessing. And if we don't choose to be that blessing, if we don't live up to what he's asking of us, he says, your wealth is going to destroy you. And I could point to a million celebrities whose wealth has destroyed them. Names that we're all familiar with. What's interesting is when we look at the tithe in Malachi chapter 3, that that's that bare minimum that Jesus sets for us or that the, the word of God sets for us. Then Jesus comes along in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus takes all these Old Testament sayings, and he doesn't get rid of them. What does he do? He raises the bar. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, if you even lust after a woman in your heart, you're guilty of committing adultery. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and you need to return evil with good. You need to love your enemies. In other words, Jesus, when he comes in the New Testament era, he, he does not invalidate the Old Testament. He does not throw out the Old Testament. He says that was what we were demanding before when they didn't have the Holy Spirit. But now you, Christian, have the Holy Spirit living in you, and so I'm asking more of you. I don't want just your actions and the external like the Old Testament required. Now I want your heart. And so we can get into these arguments about, well, is the tithe New Testament or is it Old Testament? I believe that it's New Testament, and if I had time, I'd show you why I believe that. But even if you don't, can I just say this? Jesus never lowers the bar from the Old Testament. He just doesn't. He always raises it. And so he's not just asking us for 10%. He's asking us to go beyond that. Now, if you're not at 10% today, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to put you down. I know the Bible is, is direct enough for me. I don't have to do that. You just saw what it says. I'll, I'll let the Holy Spirit speak on that. What, what I would say is this. If you're not there, go home today and start doing some reprioritizing. Man, it might mean you got to get rid of cable. It might mean you got to downgrade your cell phone plan. It might mean some sacrifices. But it's time that God's people quit hoarding wealth unto ourselves. And it's time that we honor the word of God. And I'm not asking you to do something that my family is not fully committed to. We, we tithe 
my wife and I. That's where we're at. And I believe God's going to take us to a further level as we go. And I'm not saying that to point to how awesome we are as Christians. I am jacked up. I got a lot of areas that I don't measure up. So please don't put me on a pedestal because I give 19%. All I'm saying is I'm not asking you for something that I'm not fully believing in myself. I'm fully invested in this. I fully believe in this. Uh, and I don't even care if you do it to city church. If you got another church, man, you want to go to another church where they don't preach about tithing, go there, but tithe. If you don't want to hear about money, go there. But, but I'm telling you, God's blessing is on his people when they honor him financially. And the scary flip side of that is that God's curse is on people that don't honor him financially. And I don't like to talk about curses. I don't like to think about curses, but this is what James is saying. Your money is going to come after you. It's going to destroy you if you're hoarding it unto yourself. Let us not be in that category. If you are at 10% today, I'd encourage you to reevaluate that maybe God's calling you to a deeper level of giving. Maybe God has somewhere further for you to go. And maybe that doesn't mean like us, like we give 19% to city church. Maybe for you, that's we're going to give 10% to city church, and we're going to go above and support this missionary. Or we're going to sponsor this child, or we're going to do something else. I'm not saying that all generosity is at the church. But what I am saying is that God is asking us for our heart. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, my money is connected to my heart. And so if I want God to give my heart, i got to give him my money. As I invest my money in his kingdom, my heart's going to be in his kingdom. If I invest his money in, in whatever company, I start paying attention to that company, right? I want to see how that company's doing. I want that company to succeed. It's the same thing spiritually. When I've invested financially in the kingdom, my heart follows, and God wants my heart. He doesn't need my money. Verse 4, he says, you condemned and murdered the innocent one. Oh, excuse me, that's verse 6. I'm skipping ahead. Verse 4, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. So he begins to speak directly to business owners, to, to people who employ others, to people who are bosses, who are managers, who are owners. And he says, if all you're doing is paying the very bare minimum, if all you're doing is paying the lowest amount that you can to, to reap as much for yourself as you can, he says, that's out of line too. So first he addresses generosity towards God, and then he addresses generosity towards others. That, that, and I'm not saying that you've got to pay the highest level of wages. Or I know you've got to survive as a business owner. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. My dad owns a business. I, I grew up as a child of a business owner. I, I know there are things, that there's a lot on small business owners to survive. But Jesus is saying, God is saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, we need to walk in generosity. We need to make sure we are not hoarding things unto ourselves. Verse 6, i got to move faster, I'm sorry. You condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So he finishes with this reminder. Remember, he's writing to Jewish Christians. It was the Jews who had very recently slaughtered Jesus, had crucified Jesus. And so he's saying, yes, even though you have repented of what happened to Jesus, even though now you are a Jesus follower and not someone who killed him, he said the same motivations, the same junk, the same sin in your heart that caused you to crucify Jesus is now what's causing you not to be generous towards God or generous towards others. It's the same greed, the same selfishness, the same self-indulgence that fleshed out in crucifying Christ is now fleshing out and taking from others. He says it can't go on. 
Now, if you're one of those people that doesn't like hearing pastors talk about money, I got good news for you. The rest of James chapter 5 doesn't talk about money. So you can breathe the rest of the way. We're done talking about money. But before we wrap it up, I'm just going to drive that point home one more time. If you're not honoring God in your finances, today is the day. What do we set as our goals in this series? We're going to do what the book of James says. Today's the day to go home. Maybe you got to have a talk with your spouse. Maybe it means there's some difficult things that you have to do. Now, my wife and I, gratefully, we never struggled in this area. We've been tithers since before we were married. Uh, but the, we did have to reorganize our budget once, not for tithing, but because we were in debt. And we had to go home. We had to turn off cable. We had to give up some things. We had to sacrifice some things. And so if you're in that position, I don't think there's any shame in a season of sacrificing some things to get things in line with what God's word says. For us, it was debt. We weren't comfortable being in debt. We knew that we had, God had something better for us, and we had to address that. And if, it's, if that's where you're at today, I'm not condemning you. I'm not putting you down. I'm not putting shame on you. I'm saying this is your opportunity to give God your heart and to do what his word says. Moving on, verse 7. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Everybody say, be patient. Now I get to preach longer because you all just told yourselves to be patient. Thank you. Just kidding. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So 2,000 years ago, they were already like, when's Jesus coming back? Man, isn't it about time for Jesus to come back? And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still like, man, when's Jesus coming back? I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I just know that he's coming back. Um, I, I know if we study history, every generation thought they were going to be the generation, and every generation was wrong. So I, I'm not going to stand up here and say that Jesus is coming back next year or in 10 years or in 20 years. I know that things going on in the world certainly seem like they could line up with what the Bible says about the end times. It certainly seems like it could be short. I don't know. What I do know is this. He's coming back, and whether he comes back in my generation or not, I'm going to stand before him one day. And that needs to be in the forefront of our minds, that I'm going to stand before Jesus, and I want to give, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want him to be proud. Not that I earn my way into heaven, because I don't. I get into heaven simply by the blood of Jesus, and that's it. But I also want him to be proud of the way that I lived. I want to be proud of what I did with the things that he gave me, the opportunities that he gave me. So James is saying, be patient. He's coming back, but we don't know when. James's friend Peter says it this way. He gave us an explanation for why Jesus hasn't come back yet. In 2 Peter 3, 9, he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand his slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I'm so glad that God wants us all to come to repentance. And if that means that Jesus doesn't come back quite when we want him to, I'm good with that. I'm good with him waiting. I know a lot of times, I know after 9-11, there, there was a, a, a large discussion that Jesus was coming back. Man, it's got to come soon. After what just happened, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, and it didn't happen maybe as soon as people thought. If we go to war with ISIS, those conversations are going to start happening again real quick. There's going to be a lot of talk about how this is it. And maybe it is, and maybe it isn't. But as long as Jesus waits, the good news is he's waiting so that we can get something done. He's not waiting so that we can hide in our bunker. He's not waiting so that we can hoard things unto ourselves. He's not waiting so that we can enjoy life more. He's waiting so we can reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's 
why he's waiting. And I think as long as we keep that at the forefront of our minds, as we prioritize that, I believe that God's blessing is going to be on us. Verse 9, he says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. One more time, James hits another key theme from his book, the way we talk, and specifically the way we talk about each other. He says, do not grumble. He hits that theme one last time. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James is saying that sometimes there is going to be suffering that comes as a Christian. I mean, I believe that, that there's a ton of blessing with being a Christian, but sometimes there's persecution and sometimes there's suffering. And he says we need to suffer well. Be patient. Honor God in our suffering. Don't doubt him. Don't question him. But trust him. Just as the Old Testament prophets many times suffered, but God showed up. Just as Job suffered greatly, but God showed up and restored him and blessed him in massive ways. And when we suffer, know that God's help is on the way. Verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth, or by anything else, all you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Remember, James is Jesus' brother. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. James is driving home that theme. Um, he, he's saying, don't, don't put all these, don't swear by God, don't swear by heaven, don't swear on your mama. Like, don't put it on something else. Like, your character, your integrity should be ch- such that you don't need to swear. Your integrity should be such that all you need to say is, I will be there or I will do this, or this will happen, and all that is required is your word. We need to be people of our word. I'm not good at this. I'm a people pleaser. I like to tell people what they want to hear, and I will make commitments, and I'm not always great at following through with them. My wife is the total opposite. My wife, if she gives you her word, she she will follow through unless she is dead. Like, uh, And even then, she'll probably find a way. Uh, she is committed to her commitments, and she's really raised the bar for me, and she's helping me to see the significance of this. But it's it's here scripturally. Man, if we say something, we should be people who follow through with it. Why? Because that's who God is. All his promises are yes and amen. And if we bear his name, if we have his spirit, we should reflect that as well. Verse 13, he says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Good day, praise God. Bad day, go to God. No matter what. Exactly, man. No matter what, he's there. We're reaching out to him. We're speaking to him. We're, we're staying in contact with him. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. We have three sets of elders here at City Church. Um, Kenneth and Naomi, if you guys will raise your hands for us. Kenneth and Naomi Schrode, Timmy Kim Steed, uh, and then Leonard and Paula, who I mentioned there in Gatlinburg this weekend. Um, these are our elders. If you've got sickness in your body, if you've got disease, if, if the enemy's coming against your body, come to them and ask them for prayer. And I promise they will offer the prayer in faith. Uh, they're they're going to believe with you, and, and sometimes God heals instantly, and sometimes he doesn't, and, and sometimes we wonder why didn't he, but we're going to stand on his word and believe his word. And the, the word says the prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. doesn't say it might heal the sick. doesn't say if it's God's will, it'll heal the sick. It says it will heal the sick. 
And so we continue to trust God and believe God for healing. And so we, we invite you to, to take advantage of them. They, are, they don't just have a title and a position. They don't get paid. Uh, so they didn't sign up for this just to, to have a, a cool thing on their business card. They want to help our people. They love our church. They love you guys. Uh, and they would love to, to, to partner with you and believe in God for that. Then look at what verse 16 says. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I always thought this was interesting. I always heard, you know, that we're supposed to confess our sins one to another. And, and, I, and I know the principle that uh, whatever we uncover, God can cover. But whatever we cover, God has to uncover. So when I can come out with my sin, when I can share that, sometimes in our men's group on Tuesday mornings, we've got a guy who's going to share a struggle, something that he's going through. And I'm, I'm always so proud when somebody can come out and has the courage to say, you know what, this is my, this is my problem right now. This is the area that I don't measure up. And, I, and I'm always so proud of the response of our men. They rally around them and pray with them, and, and, and we get closer together as it happens. Um, I, here's what I believe. I believe that praying, going to God and repenting to God is where I get forgiveness, but confessing to someone else is when I get healing. Uh, in other words, if you're struggling with a sin issue that, that is a habitual thing, something that is continuing to hold you down, the thing Satan wants more than anything else is for you to keep that a secret. Don't tell anybody. You know how they look at you? You know how they th what they think about you? Man, they'll, they'll never have respect for you again. He wants to keep that thing hidden. And so you go to God and you repent, and it happens again, and you go to God and you repent. And I believe God forgives you when you repent. Absolutely, 100%. But he's also laid out a prescription. When you go to somebody else, that's when the healing comes in. That's when the power of the sin is broken in your life, the addiction, the bondage. That's when that thing is destroyed is when we're able to confess it to each other. So I greatly encourage you, find somebody, same gender, somebody you look up to, somebody who's serious about their walk with God that you can confess your sins to, um, whether it's in our women's group or men's group or, or some other context. Um, I'm almost out of time. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So he points to the Old Testament. He says, in the same way that your prayer, you're praying and asking God for healing, you're due just like Elijah. There's nothing special about you. There was nothing special about him. Well, the only thing that was special about Elijah was the God that he prayed to. The only thing that you need in order to, to, to have God answer your prayer is a faith to go before him. Uh, it's pretty awesome, pretty cool illustration. 19 and 20, as we wrap up, he says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Probably everybody in this room knows somebody who's walked away from the faith. Somebody who, who loved God, who was passionate about their faith, who prioritized him, and, and maybe they're totally turned their back on it and they're 100% in the world, or, or maybe they're just in a funk. And they're just in a season where there's really no evidence, no fruit of that old relationship in their life anymore. I want to encourage you with this today. God says if you will reach out to them, if you will engage them in a conversation, if you will point them back to their first love, that you have turned an, a sinner from the, from the error of their way and you have saved them from death and covered over a multitude of sins. God loves to partner with us. God could do it on his own, but he doesn't want to. He wants to allow us to be a part of the process. And so he invites us in. He says, help me. 
reach people. Help me love people. Help me go after the lost. And maybe you're here today and, and you are that person. Maybe you once were close to God and, and your love has grown cold. Maybe you've never been close to God at all. I want you to know we prayed for you this week. That we prayed for you this morning. Our team prayed for those who would be coming to our midst, who, who once were close to God, who have wandered from the faith. That today would be the day that we'd have the opportunity to walk this passage out and to return a sinner back to Jesus. And so if that's you, I want you to know that God loves you, that God brought you here today for a reason. You are not here by accident. And today is the day that you can restore that relationship. You don't have to, you don't have to hit reset and start back at zero. This is the beautiful thing, and I'm going to wrap up with this. The word repent, uh, the word pent uh, is the same root word that we get the word like penthouse. And a penthouse is the top room in a hotel, the top room in an apartment. It's, it's the most expensive place. It's the cream of the crop. So when you repent, what are you doing? You are not returning to the bottom floor. You are returning to the top level. So God invites you today to repent, to turn away from that thing that, that caused you to, to wander from him, to turn away from that thing that caused you to, to step away from the path he had you on and repent. And when you do, his promise is I'm putting you back at the top. I'm restoring you to everything that I have for you. I'm restoring your calling. I'm restoring your purpose. I'm restoring your gifting. I'm restoring your anointing. I'm restoring everything that you lost when you walked away. When you repent, you return to the highest level. And that's an awesome, awesome thing. And I think it's a perfect way for us to wrap up our study of the book of James. So I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm going to